Hello and welcome to the Film Pulse podcast. This is episode number 394. My name is Adam Patterson. With me today, we've got Kevin Rickshaw. Hey, Kevin. Hey, how's it going? Good. Now, this week on the show, we'll be reviewing Regina King's feature debut, One Night in Miami. We'll also be going over some of what we're watching on the watch list and going over this week's new releases on VOD and Blu-ray. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Please remember to review us on iTunes if you get a moment. That would be super helpful. We're going to be recording this month's Saved by the 90s today. And so you can expect that to be dropping at some point this week. Probably towards the end of this week. Maybe Thursday, depending on how the recording goes today. At the very latest, it'll be out like Monday or Tuesday next week. But anticipate it this week. Keep an eye on our social media stuff for more information about that. Doing something a little bit different this month. We're going to be covering a TV show, and the entire episode is going to be dedicated to that one TV show. Okay. This is like, because it's a a relatively obscure TV show, and there's not a whole lot of information about it, and it you can watch all the episodes that are available on YouTube, and it was just... It was just sort of a really fascinating rabbit hole that I ended up going down. And at the more research I did on it and stuff, the more I realized, like, we could probably just make a whole show out of this. And um, Ken agreed. And so that's sort of how it played out. So stay tuned for that. It's definitely, I think, going to be one of our more interesting episodes. Let's discuss One Night in Miami. Now, this had a bit of a limited release in uh, in 2020. So this is a... I would consider this a 2020 movie. I was really bummed about not being able to see it before we did our year-end stuff because I was concerned that it would have ended up on my top 10. And I'll just say right off the bat, um, I think it probably would have come close, but... I don't think it would have landed ultimately on my top 10. Before getting into that, though, let me just go over the synopsis here. One Night in Miami is a fictional account of one incredible night where icons Muhammad Ali, Malcolm X, and Sam Cooke, and Jim Brown gathered discussing their roles in the civil rights movement and cultural upheaval of the 60s. As I mentioned, this is the feature debut of Regina King, who I just judging from this movie, I think has a very bright career ahead of her in directing. We already know that she's a phenomenal actress, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. I think that her prowess behind the camera is just as astute as she is in front of the camera. I hope that 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 doesn't mean that we're not going to see her on screen anymore. But pretty impressive debut, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, anytime that you get an actor going behind the camera to make their debut, there's always this, at least for me, it it always seems to play out one of two ways. And it's either, you know, are they going to be trying to mark their, their territory as like a, like a visual director? Like, you know, they, they, they really want to be, you know, stylized and all that, or are they going to be a director of actors 
And I think that's what you get with Regina King here. She's a director of actors because she got some great performances in this movie. I mean, that's that's pretty much the the draw for this entire movie is just phenomenal performances just across the board. I yeah, I hundred percent agree with that. I mean, the, that's that's the draw of this movie is the phenomenal cast you have here. Now, looking at the cast, and I guess we can we can start the discussion there. You have the four main characters, as I mentioned in the synopsis, are icons. They these are people who are instantly recognizable by both what they look like, how they talk, their mannerisms, what they wear. I mean, these are these are all iconic individuals. So when you're making a movie and you have the four main characters be these incredibly notable, incredibly famous figures, uh, I think that you're walking a tightrope to have them be portrayed on screen in such a way that that it doesn't fall into (laughs) parody territory or someone doing an impression you know, of that person. And I think that it's, it would be completely ruined. And it's not even if the four of them mess up. It's if one of them exactly isn't up to snuff, the whole thing is ruined. Yes. A hundred percent. And I'm just imagining, like I was just reminded of uh, wonder woman 84 there there is a a guy who plays Ronald Reagan in that and it is so i couldn't even tell at first if that person was supposed to be Ronald Reagan and it was just so awkward and bad and i was just thinking about that compared to this and how you have these four incredible actors who are taking on these roles and they're not doing impersonations they're capturing the what what i would imagine the personalities of these people and portraying them in a way where they're instantly recognizable first Mm -hmm. like eli gory who plays cassius clay like yeah you don't even need to you don't need to see him in the (laughs) ring to know that that's cassius clay but the way that he portrays him and i can say that about all all four actors uh, feels so organic and they just slip right into that character. And I no longer see Leslie Odom Jr. as Sam Cook. Like I, I see Sam Cook on the screen. Yeah. And it's, you get back to the, you know, if they mess this up or, you know, that they're playing these iconic individuals from history. I mean, that's one part of it, which is, you know, monumental enough to try and overcome. But you also have two of these characters have already been portrayed on screen as, you know, like in in terms of Malcolm X, you have Denzel Washington doing Malcolm X for the Spike Lee movie. And so you have that too. Not only are you playing Malcolm X, but there's already a like definitive performance of Malcolm X by Denzel Washington. Right. And then you, you have, have all, to compete with two, and, and then, then with Ali. Ali. Yeah, like, you you're not only dealing with the actual person, the icon that you're representing, but there's already performances 
award-winning performances that you have to compete with as well. And then, uh, and then Jim, Jim Brown, you see him being Jim Brown in all the movies that he's been in since, mm-hmm. since then too. Mars Attacks being the best, of course. <laughs> but yeah, all this, all this played Jim Brown and he was, he was really incredible as, as well. Yeah. But I think my favorite out of the four is uh, Eli Gorey, who I didn't know before this movie. But I like the way that they presented Cassius Clay here in terms of, like, he's kind of the main character because it's all revolved around his fight with with Weston. And he's kind of the the impetus for all of this happening and all this coming together. But I like the way that he's presented in such that He's only 22 at the time. So he's, he's like pretty much a kid compared to these other three. Mm-hmm. And the way that he's presented as such, where he's just like this big ball of energy and he's not 100% sure what's going on. And he's kind of relying on the three of these guys as like his guidance, I thought was really interesting. Because, you, you know, you, everything that you've seen about Ali you know, for the last how many years, decades, you know, he's this towering figure. But here it's the early career where he's not even Ali yet. And he's just, mm-hmm. you know, a young 20-year-old trying to figure things out. Yeah, and, and you can see the beginnings of his, his persona that are, st- that, that are starting to develop in, in this character. He's much more timid than what he would later be become as you said like becoming this when he becomes muhammad ali and is this boisterous presence in the ring and in interviews and such um so i yeah i loved that portrayal too because you can see that you like you can see that taking shape but it's not quite there yet like you said he is just a kid in this so i think that the way that they handled that character was Incredible, and I think that the way that that Regina King handled all of the character work in this is incredible, especially because this is largely a single location movie, and when you have a single location movie like this, everything hinges on the character moments. That's the most important thing. Above the lighting and the camera work and everything else, you have to have these really strong character moments or else you immediately lose the audience because that's all they have to grasp onto. I mean, you're in a small hotel room for most of, of the movie. And I think that she does a really good job of continuously engaging the audience through these character moments. Now I will say that maybe one slight criticism I have is that I feel like there might be a little bit too much of a reliance on monologues in this. There's a lot of one-on-ones that happen between characters. And I feel like the sometimes preachy monologues that they have with each other tend to linger on a little bit too long, but well, and I, I think that's my, my biggest issue with this too, is that it's based on a stage play. Exactly. That was going to be what I said is that and- it is based on a stage play a lot of it, you really feel it. Mm-hmm. You feel that this is a play. Now, I will give her credit that it it feels far more cinematic than some of the other like stage play adaptations I've seen. 
but yeah, you're right. There, you know, some of this, some of it does linger on a bit too long. But and that's why I say that it comes down to the performances because if the performances are weak here, not like this doesn't work at all. It just doesn't work. Like yes, it probably works as a stage play with like, you know, with some decent performances. Uh, but as a movie, it wouldn't like the performances have to be top notch. And luckily they are here. Now, they don't just they, they do, especially at the beginning. So at the beginning, there's a little bit of, of setup so that we can see where each of the four main characters are, both in their lives and in their careers. And then also sort of geographically where they're at as a little bit of a setup to get everyone into this this hotel in Miami after this you know, big fight that, that Cassius Clay has. And so you, you don't spend the entire time in the hotel. And I liked all the setup stuff. I thought all the setup stuff was, was quite good. I thought that the Jim Brown one with Bo Bridges was particularly notable. Um, just be, how it ended, I thought was like, just, it was like shocking, but also felt somehow sadly typical like not surprising i guess yeah yeah um so that certainly packed a a big punch and then you so you have this this nice setup that's probably like i don't know like 10 minutes or something and then you have the title card drop which also I, i liked that they spent time getting everything set up before dropping the title card and moving into you know, the, the movie proper, which I thought was kind of a, an interesting stylistic choice. And I think that there were several interesting stylistic choices made in this to try to keep things fresh. Um, several, there were several tracking shots used. There's a really great tracking shot when they're in the hotel and Malcolm X is checking the hotel for bugs because at this point he's pretty sure that the FBI or the CIA that he's being watched. He knows he's being watched. And there's this really great scene where he's checking for bugs. And it was this tracking shot that was following him, but it was like sort of weaving through the other guys. And I thought that that looked really good. Uh, There's some really great overhead shots in this too. One being during the fight or after the fight, rather that was uh, that's something that I want to point out, not to interrupt mm-hmm. you, but I no, just want to make sure that I don't forget is that I did appreciate the the moments where Regina King could be cinematic. She does excel. And I particularly like that sequence that you're talking about, the overhead shot, where she's recreating these incredibly incredible photographs, historical photographs, which is the overhead shot of the fight, the when they end up going to like the little diner at the hotel or the motel yep. at the end of the movie. And you know, he's Malcolm X is taking his photographs and everything. Mm-hmm. So she's taking these historical photographs and kind of like recreated them within the movie. And I, and I think you're right there that she did find these little pockets where she can make it a little bit more cinematic than what you would necessarily see in the stage play aspects of the movie, which is, you know, of course them just in the hotel room talking. Um, So the moments that the little moments that she did find again, I I thought she excelled at. So I, like you said at the beginning with 
you know, her, her future in this. Um, it will be, it will be interesting to see. Yeah. I, I liked all of the cinematography in this. I thought that it was often subtle, but incredibly elegant throughout another scene that I, it, that's just sort of sticking out of my head is when they first pull up, I think it's, I think it's to the hotel and they, and there's another, it's another overhead shot and they're all getting out of the car and you know, the, the, all the doors open up at the same time. And there's just these, it's these little like kind of nuanced choices that just add to the overall style of, of the movie. And when you're looking at, you know, the four central characters, these are four guys that just exude style. You know, they feel like a bunch of, classy dudes and i think that the cinematography does a good job in accentuating that yeah the the other scene that i liked a lot was uh, during a scene when malcolm x is telling a story about a a sam cook show that he went to in boston and flashback yeah it was it was a flashback scene and he was talking about this show that sam cook did where the the, like the PA system went out, um, turned out that it was sort of sabotaged. And so he didn't have a mic. None of the instruments were plugged in. Nothing was working. And how he sort of recovered from that. Uh, not only was it an incredible scene, and I, and I think that that's something to, to be said about this movie, is that there are several moments that are quite powerful in this movie. And I, that's, one, that's an example of one of them. And how the camera... Uh, starts like I, I think it starts on stage with Sam Cooke and then it goes down into the audience and then it goes through the audience and how they designed it so that the the sound of Sam Cooke singing gradually fades out and then you all you can hear is the audience you know clapping stomping their feet and then sort of singing along and I thought that that was such a really just a really powerful scene and it, and it turned out to be one of my favorites of of the whole film. I agree. I agree. Another thing that I enjoyed uh and I think this comes from the 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 screenplay from the stage play from uh Kemp Powers who apparently is having a pretty phenomenal year so far because I didn't realize he was the guy that did Soul as well. Oh, I didn't know that either. Yeah. So and this is his play. Uh, but one of the things that I appreciated with this is the four of them, it's not always them having discussions in a in the hotel room. It is one or two people breaking off and two being left behind and kind of isolated and having discussions. And I found that really interesting because the way it works in all friend groups is how, you know, like you interact with certain members of your friend group differently when you're left alone with that person. Like as a whole, you interact one way. And then if you're left alone with one person of that group, you might act a certain way. And then if you're left alone with another person, you're, you know, you act a certain way. It's always changing. It's always shifting, which I I found interesting, especially in the sense that Anytime anyone was left with Jim Brown, uh, Aldous Hodge's character, is it seemed like he was the confidant. Like he was the guy that wasn't really like outwardly like Malcolm X or Sam Cooke, you know, where they were kind of having this 
they're antagonizing each other, kind of calling each other out. You know, whenever they were left with Jim Brown is when they kind of opened up and they they kind of, you know, came out with what what they were struggling with, what their issues were at the time, the things that they were dealing with. And he was kind of the person that was there to kind of, you know, shoulder that burden for him. Yeah, in a lot of ways, it felt like Jim Brown was like the most grounded one of them, of them all. Yeah, yeah, because I think he like he he wasn't as you know as controversial. Yeah, he was, well, he was. I mean, he but was, he wasn't, but he I'm wasn't, saying he wasn't out front. Yeah, I'm saying in comparison. No. To, to, yeah. to be clear, all of these four men did incredible things in their lines of work, and they all went through uh, tremendous, tremendous hardships just just because they were black. You, you can't help but think about the fact that, you know, these guys, by the time this movie takes place, and obviously it's a, it, this is a fictional story, but, you know, based on their real lives, and by the time, like, the time period in which this movie takes place, all of these guys have gone through a lot of hardships already, and I couldn't help but think about, like, you know, what happens to them very shortly after this movie takes yeah. place. I mean, I think uh, Sam Cooke gets murdered, like, right after this. And um, Malcolm X gets assassinated less than a year later. And then Cassius Clay gets drafted. And, you know, his whole career, I think in a lot of ways gets derailed because of that even though you know he would rebound from that i don't think it was on the same level i think that if he never had to go through the drafting stuff his i also also think that the the drafting stuff is what kind of made him more of an icon kind of made him you know larger than life where you know you have the incredible career and then you you have that as an aspect of it as well where he did these things in spite of that mm-hmm. yeah yeah uh, likely you also have lance reddick in here as cream x he doesn't play a huge role but he's a presence nonetheless and i think that well i think that's lance reddick ex- ex- yeah, like, that's exactly what i was gonna say uh you have that in every role like you you put lance reddick in your movie and you're not gonna forget that character it doesn't matter how small of a role it is you know he's like the concierge in the john wick movies but you remember him in that role yeah. like you you will not forget it freaking like i don't like if you you show me a still of this movie where you have like malcolm x and cassius clay and other individuals and then there's lance reddick and you would ask me who's in charge here i'd be like well that guy lance reddick is like he's in charge of these people. <laughs> it, like he's all like he's the boss. Have you no matter who's around him? Have you seen the show Corporate on Comedy Central? I don't know if they renewed it, but I I really hope they did because he's he's in that he plays like the big boss. Uh, yeah, because he has to. <laughs> and it is he's, even if he's not, he's the big boss. He's I'm so sorry. he is so funny in it because he's playing the the typical Lance Reddick role but it's it's very clear you know it's a comedy and he's just he is so funny in it oh my god but speaking of the comedy 
Uh, I will say that the movie is a lot lighter than I expected. I didn't really have too many like tonal <laughs> expectations going into it, but there's a lot of really funny moments in this. Yeah. I do, I do like when they're like, yeah, we're going to party. And Malcolm X is like, I have ice cream. <laughs> it was <laughs> Okay. What kind of ice cream do you have? I have vanilla and vanilla. He's just all excited too. Like he can't wait to show up. He's like, I know how to have a good time. <laughs> Two pints of vanilla ice cream. Uh, so funny. Uh, yeah. So also I'm not, I'm not going to spoil anything, but I will say that the way that it ended was also incredibly powerful and uh, made me tear up at the end. Gotcha, huh? Yeah, it got me. Not not like majorly, but yeah, start, started feeling a little bit choked up. So I, I really liked how it ended. I thought it was a really, really good conclusion. I liked it uh, overall. I mean, it's not necessarily my cup of tea because in terms of like, it, to me, it wasn't as visual as I would like mm-hmm. from a movie, but performance wise, uh, they were very, very enjoyable, especially Eli Gorey. I like him as Cassius Clay. Oh, so good. I, I, so he good. was just, yeah, like his, it, his performance really, it really held this movie together because he, he provided a lot of levity in this thing. And he was just, he's just like a rambunctious, joyful person in this movie that it really works with everything else that's going on. Mm-hmm. It's a nice counterbalance. Yeah. Lots of energy, but there was a, there was a complexity there too. Like it wasn't like he was, yeah, you know, yeah, portraying yeah. some like young, young upstart boxer without, you know, anything going on between his ears or anything, you know, like he, he was struggling with this is, this is when he was, first when he first decided to join the the nation of islam and he was really struggling with announcing it and so that that was sort of an ongoing conversation throughout the movie and uh yeah i i I think overall was it was really good i think that it certainly had its its dips in in the sort of audience engagement department for me but uh, overall, I think it was extremely well made and great cast, great performances, good soundtrack, lots of good music in it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, certainly recommend it. It's on Amazon Prime. So if you're a Prime member, you can watch it right now. Uh, let's go ahead and give it a score. Kim, what are you going to give it out of 10? I'd give it a 7. All right. I'm sitting in a 7.5, 8 on this, on this one, somewhere right, right in the middle. Definitely recommend it. Uh, one Night in Miami. Let's move on. Talk about someone watching. I believe we'll start with you, Kevin. What do you got on your list? Uh, I watched Save Yourselves. This is available on Hulu. Hulu. It's Hulu. This is one half of the directing team behind Snowy Bing Bongs. Mm-hmm. Remember mm-hmm. that one from a couple of years ago mm-hmm. with the Cocoon Dance Team. Uh, Alex Houston Fister and Eleanor Wilson. This is Sanita Mani, who is one third of the Cocoon Dance team. She's all you might know her from Glow as well. Uh, her and John Reynolds play a couple, a uh, Brooklyn couple, of course, that decide that the internet is taking over their lives. Like they're always on their phones. It's all they do. So they decide to disconnect from the internet, go upstate New York, 
to a friend's cabin that he's redoing and just take a week. Just completely disconnect. No phones, no internet, no nothing. Just hang out upstate New York. Uh, but during that time, an alien invasion takes place. And they are the last, essentially, to find out about what the hell is going on. So this is a, a little little alien invasion comedy. Uh, and I enjoyed it for the most part. It was hitting it was hitting the spot that I needed it to hit, which was a lighthearted comedy, uh, nothing too complicated. They, Monty and Reynolds play a good couple. They have great chemistry. Um, you know, enough funny moments in it. And I like the, the actual creature design of the aliens. Uh, I was kind of surprised by it. Like, they're, they're very, very well done. They're little poofs, so they're like furry footstools. That's all they are. But they have these like really long tongue-like appendages that they that they shoot out looking for ethanol. And uh, sometimes they're also looking for brain matter, apparently. And uh, chaos kind of ensues. So I, I, to me, it's it's a light recommend. It's if you're looking for an enjoyable little comedy, nothing too complicated. You know, you just want to kind of kick back, relax, chuckle here and there. I would say, I would say this this will probably hit the spot for you. Yeah. And furthermore, if you're a Sunita Mani fan, it'll definitely it'll definitely hit the spot. And she's someone I think that should be in more films, specifically more lead roles. Yeah, I think she's great. I like John Reynolds a lot too. I watched the show Search Party, and he's really good in that. Yeah, he has a funny thing in this where he has he has night visions. So I guess it's kind of like sleep paralysis or something, where he just like wakes up in the middle of the night and just starts screaming at things. Mm. <laughs> and I don't know why, but it, it like it worked every time. Yeah, I, I'm gonna have to watch this. This has been on my list for for a while. I didn't know it was on Hulu, so now now I'm definitely me going. either. It was on my list too for a long time, and then I finally realized that it was on Hulu. And you have no idea how excited I was. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, and that's Save Yourselves, so check check that one out. I saw As the Gods Will. This is directed by Takeshi Miike. Now, last week, you saw yeah. Miike, and it made me look at his filmography and sort of go through and mark some down of his that I've been meaning to watch but haven't yet. So this was the first on the list. It, this is from 2014. This is a uh, horror film, and it is uh, it's about these kids who they go into their high school classroom as they do every day and their teacher's head explodes and out yes. of their out of their teacher's head comes <laughs> i i just want to say i've never hit watch list on letterbox so fast in my life <laughs> um out of his head comes this um you know, I don't even know what, uh, what 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 you would call it. Uh, it's like a head that's like a it's like a ceramic head thing, and mm-hmm. it forces these kids to play what is essentially uh, Red Rover, like the mm-hmm. the Japanese version of Red Rover. Or no, 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 not not Red Rover. Sorry, I guess it would be like Red Light, Green Light. So like he the head flips around. And he has to say, when he flips around, he, there's like a phrase. 
that he says and the kids can move and then when he turns around he'll, when he's when he's done saying the phrase he turns around and any kids who are moving their heads explode yes so but that's just one of the games see it turns out there's a lot of games and they're all sort of based around schoolyard type scenarios but they're all like deadly and evil and like the next one involves uh the kids having to dress up as mice and there's a giant you know those lucky cats with the arms that move there's a like a, a giant one in their gym and it is eating the kids <laughs> me this- me like just describing this movie over a podcast does not do a good enough job of of adequately conveying you, the craziness also, of it you also don't realize how excited i am right now like this sounds incredible and i want to watch it right now please tell me how how do i uh you can get it on on voodoo so you can you can watch it on voodoo it is available on there i need it it is uh it's it's pretty wild uh it's a lot of fun the the cg is pretty good especially for 2014 uh, and it's uh incredibly gory a lot of kids a lot of high school kids getting crushed and heads getting blown up and <laughs> chopped up and everything else. Uh, and it goes to some really weird places. I mean, it starts off weird, but it gets progressively mm-hmm. weirder from there. So a lot of fun. Definitely recommend As the Gods Will. Oh, I'm so excited. 2021 is going to be great. <laughs> I can feel it in my bones. I watched Ray and Liz. The movie from Richard Billingham from 2018. This is, uh, it came available on Criterion Channel. This is another movie I've been wanting to watch for quite some time. Uh, I did not know two things that I enjoyed right off the bat. One, 16 millimeter. Two, 4-3 aspect ratio. I enjoy those. The cinematography in this movie is phenomenal. Uh, pretty much all the technical aspects of this movie. Cinematography, lighting, lots of natural lighting, the framing, um, dissolved transitions, all of it, wonderful. Just the, like the, the filmmaking itself of this movie. Love it. Love everything about it. What it's about, necessarily, the, the narrative of it, and I use that loosely, not really on board with apparently this is an autobiographical film and the only reason i know that is because of reading about it after watching the film i didn't get any of that from the movie itself it's a bit too fleeting for me but the interesting thing or oddly enough is like they spend ample time in certain moments of this family and but yet like, I don't know anything about these people. So Ray and Liz are a married couple. They have three kids. Um, the one, it, it's kind of told in flashbacks. And the, the oldest is an awful person. Just awful. And, like, Ray and Liz apparently don't really care about their kids at all. Like, they have no interest in them. Which becomes far more evident as the movie goes on. And like you spend these little moments of their of their history, mostly Ray's life, but also Liz's to a certain extent, extent, 
during these flashbacks. But if you had to ask me, like, what do I know about Ray, who, for all intents and purposes, is the main character of this film, I would say his most, like, memorable moment as a person in life is choking on a spoonful of chili powder that was dumped into his mouth while he was sleeping. That's it. Like, <laughs> and like the present day Ray, like all he does is he wakes up. He has three, like two liter bottle, probably three liter bottles of strong homebrew. And he just starts drinking it immediately gets shit faced by like nine o'clock in the morning and doesn't leave his room. And that's it. Like, that's all he does. And he has these little, you know, flashback memories um, that show, I guess, parts of it. Like, I, like, my main takeaway is that, like, these people just wasted their entire lives and accomplished nothing and did nothing with their lives. And that's it. So, like, like again, it was engaging enough because the filmmaking aspects of it are really phenomenal. But at the end of the day, like, I don't know anything about these people, these characters, like they're, they're barely people. Mm. All right. Uh, that's Ray and Liz. Yeah. I remember when this came out, I had like a mild interest in it and I always liked the poster for yeah. it. Like I, I always thought that that poster was really striking. I, I, I was always into that. There's a lot of, a lot of imagery in this, There's a lot of frames that are striking. Enough that I'm I'm excited to see what he does. Like this just wasn't it for me. Mm. Okay. Uh, the only other one that I will mention is uh, Fat Man. This is directed by Isol Nelms and Ian Nelms. Uh, this is the one with Mel Gibson as Santa Claus. Oh, you did it. <laughs> yeah. So Mel Gibson plays Santa Claus and. He ends up giving a lump of coal to this little piece of shit kid who mm-hmm. looks and acts exactly like Ben Shapiro. I, like I know it's it's probably a coincidence, but as soon as this kid came on screen, I'm like, holy shit! It's like little Ben Shapiro over here. Uh, and even smaller than the real Ben Shapiro. Dude's only like four eleven. <laughs> yeah, four, well, <laughs> four seven. Yeah, he's four. Yeah, this is like a little kid. So he's slightly <laughs> shorter than Ben Shapiro. So he Tall. like taller than Ben Shapiro. And what the, what this kid does is he's like in the science fair every year and he wins the science fair every year. And this year he lost the science fair to this girl. So he pays a hitman to kidnap the girl and threatens to electrocute electrocute the girl with a car battery unless she says that she cheated on the science fair and had her parents help so that he can win. So he ends up getting a lump of coal for Christmas and this pisses him off so bad that he hires the hitman to go after Santa and kill Santa. But in this world, Santa is not necessarily the same exact Santa that we, that we all know. He's a little bit different. He's a little bit more grizzled. He's a little bit more Mel Gibson. And it's uh you know it's a it's a it's a slightly goofy action comedy that maybe makes some broad 
statements about about parenting and how like their margins like Santa's margins are getting slimmer because he gets a subsidy from the government to continue his his operation and that like every year there are fewer and fewer good kids so he's giving out less toys and therefore manufacturing is like slowing so there's some kind of weird statement going on there and then there's also this thing that happens where because he's not making enough money with his government subsidy that he ends up signing a contract with the u.s military and the elves start making Mm. uh, like computer boards for a fighter jets so there's like that whole aspect of it too none of that work none of that works particularly well any like messages or statements in this movie are just completely overshadowed by the fact that this is you know a, a, a b movie it's like it, it's goofy so i think that that was my biggest problem is that it didn't just embrace it enough like it doesn't take itself completely seriously like it's not a serious movie but at the same time uh i think that it could have been a little bit more fun now with that being said it's still uh it's still pretty rowdy it's still a pretty good time i mean seeing uh bruce bruce uh, mel gibson as uh i almost said bruce willis because uh seeing, seeing mel gibson as santa and like you know shooting guns and being in this like these like action scenes it's fun but it's it's just it's too fleeting uh the the big showdown that he and walton goggins has is is great but it's like at the very end of the movie and i i like for it being sort of this action movie, I wanted a little bit more out of it. Uh, Walton Goggins plays uh, an incredible bad guy role, as always. He just completely owns the role, and he's really funny in this. So, you know, I give it a light recommend. There are some amusing moments to it. Uh, I'll, I will also uh, highlight uh, Marianne Jean-Baptiste is in it, and she plays... Uh, Mrs. Claus, and she is incredible in this, as always. So, yeah, they did some interesting things. It's it's uh, certainly not a conventional action movie, and it's definitely unique. I mean, you haven't seen a movie like this before, so uh, on, on that on that level, you know, I give it a light recommendation. Fat man, you can. This is on VOD right now. All right, let's take a look at what we have on VOD this week. On the 19th, we have Clapboard Jungle. This is a documentary about five years in the life life and career of an independent filmmaker supported by dozens of interviews posing one question. How does an indie filmmaker survive in the current film business? Features interviews with Guillermo del Toro, Richard Stanley, Barbara Crampton, Paul Schrader, Tom Savini, George Romero... Michael Bean's in there. Frank Hennenlauter. Hmm. Eh, you know, I've just hmm. seen so many of these. Like, like they have a lot of really great interviews in there. But the thing is, like, and I and I don't mean this in like a negative way towards any of these people. They're all amazing people. But all of these documentaries that are about horror movies in some way have 
the same people like 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 it's the same you know panel of individuals that tend to do interviews for all of these movies about also if it's about making indie movies it would be nice to have like contemporary right i mean like like, not people that have been in it for years yeah like guillermo del toro like i i I can understand (laughs) (laughs) like like i can totally get where he might have some perspective when it comes to maybe early in his career but even if you look at his early movies like the dude's been pretty successful (laughs) since the beginning now richard stanley on the other hand richard stanley has a little bit more of a storied career in hollywood and getting his movies off the ground i mean it took like i mean after the island of dr moreau he like disappeared off the map for like more than a decade so so yeah i i just i don't know about this one i don't think it's gonna be for me no also on the 19th we have the village in the woods this looks like some sort of maybe a maybe gothic style horror movie uh, the tagline for this one is The Demon Awakes. Mm. We have yes. Stallone, Frank that is, what? which is a documentary about Frank Stallone. Oh, okay. What a, I'm sorry, that title. Stallone, Frank that is, the most unknown famous entertainer in Hollywood. Hmm. <laughs> I disagree with that. I think a lot of people know who Frank Stallone is. But I mean, uh, the doc, I think a lot of the documentary is about what it's like to be living in his brother's shadow, which uh, could yield some interesting thoughts and anecdotes, but not enough for me yeah. to seek this one out. No, and I don't think it's, it's enough to warrant 73 minutes. <laughs> I agree. We have 10 minutes to midnight. This is a horror movie. Late Night Bites. It's about a, about a DJ. Something happens. Maybe vampires. Vampires attacking. Yeah, I've, I've actually heard decent things about this movie. It stars uh, Caroline Williams, who was in Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Mm. I've seen her in several of these uh, sort of the aforementioned horror documentaries over the years. <laughs> But I can't recall if I've actually seen her in any movies. So Interesting. Yeah. Uh, on January 21st, we have Flinch coming out. A young hitman falls for a girl who witnesses him commit a murder. Then on the 22nd, I believe is Flinch... Uh, you know what? I'm not sure where that's coming out. Then on the 22nd, we have Agent Revelation... Which looks like some kind of uh, horror, um, sorry, sci-fi, sci-fi thing. We have Baby Done, which is a, a, a New Zealand comedy. This is being, I believe, executive produced by Taika Waititi. And we have You Will Die at 20. This is going to be a virtual cinema release. Follows the child pretended to die at age 20 as he and his mother navigate the uncharted space between coming of age and facing the end. Mm-hmm. We have Brothers in Blood. This is featuring Matthias Schoenarts and Joe Kinnaman. Whatever happened to Schoenarts? 
Oh, he's still around. Yeah, but he was. Seemed like he blew up and then just straight down. No, he was in something. He, stopped, he just stopped showing up, though. Uh, well, he started doing. Uh, wait, I just saw him in something like not too long ago. What the hell was it? Showing arts. All I can think of is that movie with Tom Hardy pops up in the bar and he's like, "Hey, do you guys have Zima?" <laughs> I can't remember what that movie was called though. What, what did I ju- I just saw him in something. What the fuck? I have to like look this up. Uh, he was in... Oh, The Old Guard. Mm, okay. That's, that's what it was. He was in The Old Guard that came out last year. He was really good in that, actually. Hey, you guys have Zima? He's a really, he's a really great actor, and I think that one of the things that makes him great is how malleable he can be. Like, he can pretty much be any from from any area of the world Mm -hmm. like he's able to just throw on any type of accent and you could just believe that he's from whatever region you know his character is he's just so good at at doing that anyway this movie uh, doesn't really appeal to me the tagline for this one is loyalty has a price it's a crime Mm -hmm. thriller from the looks of it i bet Uh, you that price blood well yeah, could be. Yeah, could be. I bet you any money. I like Joel Kinnaman too, and I, I feel like he's been underutilized in the industry as well. You know, he was in that Altered Carbon first season. He was great in that. Uh, but that's like the most recent thing that I can... I mean, I know he's been in stuff since then, but I think that's the last time I saw him in anything meaty. He's another really... Uh, he's another type of actor who can play pretty much someone from any country. I think he's, I think he might be Swedish. Sure. On Blu-ray this week, we have the 4k version of they live. We have the 4k version of Prince of darkness. Uh, interestingly, I believe it was John Carpenter's birthday yesterday. So mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a coincidence or what we have accepted from 2006 starring Justin long. <laughs> uh, one one that I know that you might be interested in is Joint Security Area from 2000 uh, is coming out yeah. on Arrow. Arrow's releasing that one. Nice, really, really great film. Time for a rewatch. We got a Serbian film from 2010. Can I give <laughs> put that one on your list? Mm-mm. No. no, you know I still haven't watched that whole thing, and I refuse to. Yes, correct. Uh, the cur- <laughs> the curious Doctor Hump from 1969. That's an American genre film archive release. Giant from the Unknown from 1958. The Hand That Feeds the Dead from 1974, starring Klaus Kinski. Got Dreamland from. I think that came out last year. It says 2019 here. That's the one with Margot Robbie and Finn Cole. That looks quite bad. It's a period period piece. Gangster. Mm-hmm. Gangster movie. We have The Kid Detective. Uh, ta- Taxi Girls and Heavenly Desire from 1979. Batwoman and the Panther Women. It's a double, another double bill there. We've got Spiral. This is on Shudder, too. If you have Shudder, you can watch that one. I talked about this one a while ago. It's, all right. It's not worth owning on Blu-ray. Got Max Cloud. 
starring St- Scott Atkins. It's a sort of a sci-fi action movie. Blue Monkey from 1987. They breed, they hatch, they kill. They hatch? <laughs> that was my question. I clicked on it because it said they hatch. And I'm like, monkeys hatch? <laughs> He's hatching monkeys? It says, the funny thing is, the, the title is Blue Monkey, and then underneath of that, in parentheses, it says insect. Blue yeah, Monkey, insect. Yeah, reading the, the synopsis here, it doesn't seem to be anything about monkeys. Very strange. The cover doesn't even show doesn't show an insect or a monkey or anything. It just shows a guy screaming. He's all mm-hmm. sweaty. And then there's like this, this green ooze that's being splashed about. It's a, it's a worm-like creature. Unknown <laughs> bacteria from an exotic plant. Underneath the main tagline, it's, it just says, maybe it's just a phase they're going through. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not jump to conclusions here. <laughs> okay, you know? well, at any rate, uh, Blue Monkey is certainly going on my watch list. <laughs> yes, 100%. I didn't talk about it because I think we were like in, in the middle of a break or we were doing our year-end stuff, but I did watch American Rickshaw yeah, several, we- several weeks ago, and it is pretty incredible. So definitely recommend American Rickshaw. Martin Eden is coming out. That's uh, from last year. Ended up on uh, a number of top ten lists. Uh, Ken, Ken had this on his top ten list. I know that. Toys of Terror from last year. I've got some couple kung fu movies here. It's it's another double bill. I guess the, I guess this is some sort of uh, series they're doing here. Where there's these like kind of grindhouse double features. This one's the Black Dragon and Enforcer from Death Row. Casper from 1995 is getting some sort of re-release here. Your Highness from 2011. Totally forgot about that movie. Remember Your Highness? (laughs) Remember that? I'm being reminded of so many things. (laughs) Justin Long, Your Highness. Man. Wow. Uh, Happy Times from last year is coming out. Slapshot is getting another Blu-ray release. I feel like Slapshot, Slapshot is one of those that comes out all the time it's like evil dead 2 and evil dead 1 like there's these certain movies that just keep getting released over and over and over again they must do really well i remember the first time we saw slapshot and it seemed like such an obscure title to me at the time but now it's like everybody knows slapshot oh yeah because it's getting re-released every other week yeah and i remember (laughs) i remember even having a hard time finding it on video back in the day not anymore, buddy. Dracula Untold from 2014. Triple Nine from 2016. Both bad. Homefront from 2013. That's another bad one. Glass from 2019. I never saw that, actually. I never watched Glass. Yes. Oh, you saw it? No, I don't even know if I've heard of this movie. It's the, it's the M. Night Shyamalan one that, that oh, yeah, combines that's Unbreakable and then the other one with the uh right. the one where he had multiple personalities james mcavoy can't remember yeah. the name of that I one small, i had a small interest in that and so did i because uh, I, I i like unbreakable and i actually didn't mind the other one the one with james mcavoy so i was like kind of into it but i i didn't I, hear very good th- things i hope you never learn the title of that movie 
you know, if I think about it hard enough, it might come to me. But the thing is, like, I just don't feel like putting forth it's the right effort there. right now. It's right there. It's right there. So easy. You know it? Yeah, I know it. Oh, it's like. I don't know how to tell you. Uh, oh, wait. Split. Was it Split? Was that the name <laughs> of it? Was that it? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Could be. I'm pretty sure it was split. <laughs> You're just going to have to live with that uncertainty. Well, I'll... I'll... <sighs> Alright. Well, I was going to say I'm going to look it up after the show, but I don't... I, I just don't want to give it... That would be giving in to it at that point. <laughs> uh, Alright. We have Polter Heist from 2018. Deep in Vogue. We talked about that. It's a documentary about UK. People who Vogue in the UK... Always and Forever, Skyscraper, Clapboard Jungle, Kitty Mamas, Paddleship is getting a re-release for some reason. That's pretty much it. What about Criterions? We got one Criterion, and that is a rock doc, Scorsese rock doc, and that's Rolling Thunder Review, a Bob Dylan story. So That's cool. Big fan of the, the Bob Dylan there. You should probably pick that up. Have you seen this one? No, I have not. I just, for whatever reason, like, I like Bob Dylan, but I'm not like, I, I, I don't, I, I like him too, but I don't know. I, just, I, I didn't see the Rolling Stones one either. So yeah, I don't know. All right. Uh, I think that's going to do it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. You can send us your questions and topics to podcast at filmpulse.net. You can follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net and at filmpulsekevin. And if you have a minute, consider reviewing us on iTunes. That would be much appreciated. For Kevin Rakestraw, my name is Adam Patterson. We'll see you next week.